Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game-changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Dr. Amy Silver. Amy is a psychologist, a speaker, author, and media commentator on the management of our emotions for high performance. Her award-winning and Amazon best-selling book, The Loudest Guest, How to Control and Change Your Relationship with Fear, is a game changer for those ready to move beyond fear. So Amy has spent three decades as a psychologist developing contents on how Fear restricts us and safety expands us. And her work enables people to step courageously into connecting to themselves and to others. And this is what I am super keen on tapping into today. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Oh, my absolute pleasure. So as I said, I am so keen to dive into this topic of fear because it's something that we all deal with on a daily basis and something that can really limit us and make us play a smaller game than what we are capable of. But first of all, I'm really curious as to what led you into being so interested and specializing in fear and its impact on people. Well, I started off in therapy and research when I started as a clinical psychologist and in the training and then doing the therapy, there's a whole range of different psychological models and theories and ways to help people that I guess is where you spend a lot of time initially with your clients. And what really occurred to me, particularly when I started working with patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is where I sort of specialized quite early, was that a lot of people's progress in uh, how they move forward towards their goals was less around the minutiae of the models that we were working with at the time, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, cognitive analytic therapy, psychodynamic therapy, and more to do with people's relationship with fear and how capable they were of doing something different in the moment to what their fear wanted them to do. That was really where I started to pick up that fear was the the leading factor to people moving forward with their psychological distress. As I said, chronic fatigue was something that was very interesting to me. And so we developed a model to see if fear was involved in people's progress in fatigue. And it was because if people are fearful of doing something different, it will prevent them from taking up a a treatment uh, plan. So that was probably the beginning, but then it's just grown in terms of my understanding as I've, I mean, that was, you know, let's say 25 years ago. Um, And, um, you know, really when I think about all of us, it is always fear that gets involved with our potential because it is always fear trying to keep us in a comfortable spot, which is very different from what we need to be comfortable with if we're going to change and move forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because now you work in a lot of corporate environments and um, have you seen that play out 
equally as much or even more because I know I've I've got a corporate background of 21 years and I think about all of the things that I procrastinated about and probably didn't do throughout my career because I was fearful of I suppose making that change so it sort of kept me where I was probably for a much longer period than what I should have been. I was actually really shocked when I first moved over to the corporate world. I don't know why, but I think I'd sort of been immersed in a mental health world and so had made an assumption about the corporate world, I guess, that there was less fear around. And when I walked into the corporate world 20 years ago, I was absolutely shocked to see how present it was, not just with choices like, you know, career moves or, you know, whether or not to take opportunities that were placed in front of us, but also in terms of our communication and how fearful people were of speaking up or speaking out of whatever the norm was or bringing up a new idea or apologizing or, giving feedback or seeking feedback or having difficult conversations or turning towards new ideas, all of these fears that were so present for me when I saw them at work in the corporate sense. So I was really surprised, which just shows, you know, I guess a a bias that I had already developed in my head when I was working in mental health. But yeah, we, we are so trapped by fear, all of us, all the time. And for us to not focus on it seems like such a wasted opportunity really. Yes, interesting that you mentioned about the communication and speaking up because that is that is really prevalent. So how does fear limit us and prevent us from like making decisions and things like speaking up but taking action on I suppose you know making us play that smaller game or not making us but contributing to doing that? I think it does make us sometimes. I think that was a good good use of words. It does make us play small because what it's trying to do is keep us safe within the majority or what it perceives is a safe space, which is often not putting your head up above, you know, the the average. So not standing out in any way, you know, not not taking a risk that you may fail, not putting yourself up for judgment or for people to reject you or for people to not like you or for people to be talking about you behind your back. So all of these narratives fear will will be really quick to have in our heads because it's trying to keep you safe. That is what fear's job is, is trying to keep you safe within the majority, away from social pain, from social exclusion. So that's its primary aim. And so anytime that we do anything different from what fear wants us to do, we are going to experience discomfort because that's what fear is striving for. And there's a really strong evolutionary reason why that is there for us. You know, if you think about we are tribal animals, we are dependent on each other. Our brain was designed, you know, a couple of million years ago to make sure that we evolve. And part of that is that we we belong in a tribe. So we are hyper, hyper tuned in, or that is certainly the fear-based part of our brain, is hyper tuned in to anything that we may do, which is a risk. We have to be grateful for it because it, it serves us well. 
But any time that it makes us do something, as you said before, I think that's a worthy chance for us to turn towards it and say, are you right? You know, are you actually right in this circumstance? Are you going to serve me well if I listen to you? Or can I actually negotiate with you here a little bit? You know, am I actually about to be outcast from the tribe if I ask a question about something that I don't understand? Am I actually going, is that actually going to mean that I get rejected from everybody and that everybody thinks that I shouldn't be here? Or in fact, does it help me understand something and it helps open up a conversation and it helps people see that I'm curious and connected and it helps maybe other people in the room understand something a bit clearer. So we have to have these conversations with fear just to double check that the advice that it's giving us is sensible. Yeah, that makes complete sense too. Because I I love what you said about not putting your head up above the average. Like that really makes sense to me. Because we do so much more to avoid pain than to experience pleasure sometimes too, don't we? It's like we just don't want to feel that icky, uncomfortable, like, oh, I'm putting myself out there. I'm putting my head up above the average. What's going to happen? It's just something that we have learned to take as a sign to sit down when in fact we could use it as a sign to stand up. We could use it as a sign to attract us to, oh, this is, this is almost the experience of living is this is these symptoms that I'm experiencing, that increased heart rate, that sort of um, slightly breathless, that sort of tingling. I know something is about to happen. Potentially, if I can tune into that in a way of, wow, this is really me living. This is me choosing to live. Maybe that would be an interesting kind of negotiation to have with fear is, well, these feelings are a sign that I'm actually here that I'm actually choosing something exciting. I love that. And I'm going to get into some little strategies, but I think one of the things that you're touching on there is very much about courage and it's having the courage to do what we want to do, what we feel might be right to do. You know, even after that little negotiation with fear, it's still going to take the courage to move forward. And of course, courage is the antidote to fear. Can you explain how all of that works? I actually think that courage is an action, right? So I think that we move with courage despite the fear or through the fear or next to the fear so that we cannot be courageous if there's no fear that we have to I think very, very strongly, we cannot aim for fearless. Like that's not what we should be striving for. I feel that really strongly and really in my bones. I I don't want to be fearless because that would mean in some ways that I was potentially putting myself at risk. It would mean that I was potentially living quite a dull life. I don't want to be fearless. And I don't think anybody should be waiting to become fearless before they move. You have to move at the same time that you are experiencing fear. And the movement itself is the courage piece. Don't expect not to be fearful but hold yourself accountable for the movement that it takes to get to the other side. And as you say, on the other side of that courage is confidence, which is a feeling, which is a sense of self 
that you know that you can override your fear at a time when it's important to you. So it's a new relationship with fear and you have that inner confidence that you know that you can deal with the discomfort of not listening to your fears and that you can move next to fear, that you can have that sort of relationship with fear. I like what you said about not being fearless. Sometimes people are described as fearless and you think, oh God, I love that. Like just to move through life and just do whatever you want to do. But you're right. So you need to be making those considered decisions and you you can't be courageous without fear. I think it's dangerous to look at people and think, wow, they're so fearless because either what they're doing didn't require any courage for them. So then it's not a comparable piece or they're just making it look like they're fearless because they are moving forward and your relationship with fear or our relationship with fear in those circumstances is that we wouldn't move forward so when we see people move forward we imagine oh wow they obviously don't have any fear and I think that's dangerous because I think it leads us to then feel a lot of shame about our own fears or our own actions and I kind of in the book I talk about fear being the loudest guest and almost that it's at the party at a party that you're having and it's just telling you what to do all the time telling you who you can talk to and how loud to have the music and what food to serve at your party and I describe shame as fear's best friend you know flanking flanking fear and as as fear moves around your party telling you what to do shame is there really close shame and guilt making you feel bad about all of what's going on. And I think when we layer on shame and guilt to our fears, they become, our fears themselves become quite muddy and we can't debate with our fears because we're so kind of lost in the shame of them. And then we hide our fears. So then we layer on the imposter syndrome and we layer on kind of pretending. We don't acknowledge them to ourselves, which uh, leads to no growth and we don't acknowledge them to others, which leads to, you know, in inauthentic relationships. So I think we've got to be really careful of how much shame we add on to our fear. And I think looking at others and assuming that they're fearless is one of those things that puts us in a, a place of, of shame. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Have you seen that increasing like I suppose that's really comparing ourselves to others, isn't it? When we don't really know what their experience or situation is. Have you seen that on the increase since, say, social media? I don't think we can blame the whole of social media, but we can definitely see that in our society we assume that others are living better lives than we are, doing nicer things, having more success, being more fearless and, you know, forgetting that people have taken 200 photos to get that one photo or they haven't shown you, you know, they've shown you the camera facing one direction and not the other. And I think we've just got to remember, and this is, although I spend my life talking about fear, you know, one of the steps in the in the model to understand how to work with fear is self-compassion. And I think it's really, really important that we understand what we're feeling with fear and how in control we let fear be of us is it's okay. We are designed like this. Our brain is designed like this. This is hard for us to override fear 
is a conscious decision that we need to make and then we need to work on it all the time. It's not a one-stop shop thing. It's a constant awareness of how fear is getting in our way so that we constantly have the opportunity to grow. And it's not ever done. And anyone who looks like it's done for them is only showing you part of what they've done on. And if we're lucky, we never run out of fear because our life is ever expanding, ever introducing us to new potential fears. If we didn't have fear of losing people, we wouldn't have love. You know, I I mean, if we didn't have fear of new things, we wouldn't have a sense of satisfaction on the other side or pride. So these good emotions and bad emotions are just here and it's okay. And we must get okay with the fact that we all experience this and no one is immune to fear. Everybody who has big lives has learned how to overcome their fears, but they're not done. And so your book provides some really practical strategies on how to you like you say, like overcome your fears and take steps forward. So you said before we can make fear work for us. So can we make it a superpower? I think so. You know, there are different areas of our lives where we may want to explore our relationship with fear because it's not the same all way around. You know that as well. Like, for example, my physical fear, fear of being hurt or um, fear of taking myself out of a physically safe space is one that really challenges me. Whereas my fear of, I don't know, doing public speaking or whatever is less, less held back. So it's not that it's a constant for all of our individual fears. We may have different areas of our life where we can move further, you know, with our fears and, or choose not to, I'm not choosing right now not to move further with my fear of spiders. I'm kind of okay with that one. (laughs) (laughs) We share that fear. (laughs) Um, And I think that therefore what fear does is gives you an opportunity to see that line of growth. And so now in areas where I am definitely trying to expand my capability to to handle my fears, when I experience a fear, I go, great, there it is. Woohoo, there's the flag. Here I go. And I use it as a bit of a signpost of what my next move might be because I never want fear to be the limits. I never want fear to be the end of where I go. And so I, I use it as a bit of a sign. Not that I've mastered it in all sorts of areas, of, as I've just said, I, I really haven't. But I do think that it can provide us with that sense of wonder about what's on the other side of this. You know, what would happen if I was able to transverse that fear? What would be possible for me and those around me? So I do think it's possible to set it into a superpower. And let's not forget it has incredible plus points. So for example, even in a work context, if I if I'm fearful of making a mistake, you know, so I'm double checking things. Well, that's a good thing. You know, it's not that these things are bad. If I'm fearful of letting people down, well, that's a good thing. You know, I don't want to let people down. So it it helps keep us aligned with what's important to us often are really core values and it's there as a signal if I do something which isn't in line with my core values some sort of boundary is is crossed either interpersonally or just me you know what if I decided I wanted something 
that was outside of my values, I'd want my fear to kick in and save me. We want to look at this as a tool to use, as something to master, something to guide us, but not necessarily control us. We want to be able to hear those fears because they may be pointing out our potential areas of growth. Yes. And I really like what you shared in terms of how you feel or what you think when your fear shows up. So is it is it sometimes a matter of reframing the thoughts that come to us, you know, initially about the fear? It's like instead of going, oh my God, it's like woohoo. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 everything from woohoo, there it is. Let me grab it quickly because it's just put in front of me something that it fear thinks that I couldn't do. So, well, let's see what that is. So let's write it down. So I'm a big writer when I hear my fear speak, because often it's uh, it's saying things like, you know, don't tell anyone that you're feeling this, or don't share that, or don't ask that question, or don't put your hand up for that opportunity. So it's things like that, which I kind of go, oh, gosh, okay, great. Let me write that down, because that's potentially the answer to, to what I what I need to do next. So it can be a woohoo moment. And it can also be a, yeah, of course, moment where you go, yeah, of course, my fear is going to show me all the ways in which this can go wrong or the ways in which I might embarrass myself or the things that people might be saying. Of course it is because that's what its job is. Who am I to kind of suddenly get derailed by it? Because actually it's doing its job. It's up to me and the very clever part of my brain, which sits way more maturely than this core part of the brain that was designed two million years ago, it's up to that part of my brain to assess what this job <laughs> fear has sent me so that I can decide what's best for me. I don't have to listen to it, but, you know, yeah, of course it's going to say that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I love that. I'm a massive writer down too. So I think getting it out of your head on paper, you can see it and go, yeah, okay, I can make sense of that. So that's a really awesome tip. And my other tip to go with it, I know we're probably going to do a few more tips, but that, you know, to thread them in, the tip with that is really to write down fear's narrative as if it's a person. So give it an I. So I think that you are going to fail if you try and do that thing. That's what fear is saying. And then on a different page with maybe even a different color pen, write down what you think and what you want and how this thing is going to add to your life so that you're separating what you think and what fear think and then realize that you don't have to do what fear tells you to do that your goals and fear's goals are actually quite different and what will happen is you will notice that what fear wants for you is safety now right now comfort right now. It's not going to want you to experience any discomfort now. But what you want is often much longer term, much more holistic, much more in the future. And so the two perspectives are so different. And that can be so helpful to realize that there is a level of tolerance with the now, if you want the future that you want. 
We are all leaders, but you cannot be a leader of others unless you are a leader of self first. Over the past two decades, I've empowered hundreds of leaders to deliver positive impact to the business they are representing, resulting in extraordinary sales growth and high staff retention rates. I'm often asked the question, how can I work with you, Julie? Here's how. I present one-hour keynotes to corporations, providing practical tools and strategies for leaders and their teams to take control of busy, to be intentional with their actions and achieve the high performance results that they're looking for. I also work one-on-one with a select few ambitious and courageous leaders who understand the key to creating their success starts with them. So if you'd like to connect, you can find me at juliehyde.com.au. Is there one more tip that you could share with us? I think the tip that probably is, again, a very practical one because what we've been talking about is this conceptual thing about fear's mission and your missions and if you make want to make it count and to use your to use your language i think if you want the steps that you're taking to head towards the goals that you want yes you've got to get in your head that you are going to find some bits of that uncomfortable and you've got to get it into your head that of course you're going to find it uncomfortable and that is okay. It's not a cue to stop. It's a cue that you are doing something different from what fear wants. And the practical bit comes with, yes, but I still feel rubbish. You know, I still get the heart rate going up. I still get the tunnel vision in that moment where I'm thinking I could ask this question in a meeting, but I'm holding myself back. I still get the sweaty palms and the dry mouth and I still forget kind of some of my words and I stutter. And so you still have to have some almost physical ways to ground yourself back in the moment and reset what actually has become quite a chemical imbalance in your body. So in those moments where your fear has been triggered and you're experiencing those very physical symptoms, we need a physical response to that, to reset the breathing, to calm the body down and to be very mindfully here. So for that, I always recommend a series of skills that you can build that you don't have to build them in that moment. You build them when you're not being triggered so that when you are triggered into that chemical imbalance, which as I said, has happened naturally because your brain has gone into uh, that fear response you can employ them quite quickly because you've you've learned them there's some granny techniques on my website if anybody's interested or absolutely just type them into google and you will find heaps of techniques that you can learn to just reset your breathing do some diaphragmatic breathing do a three minute breathing space which again there's a script on my on my website to ground yourself in what you can hear see notice you know, the sensations of your clothes, the seat beneath you, anything to draw your attention back to you are safe. You are not being eaten or threatened by a saber-toothed tiger on the savannas a million years ago. You are here in a meeting room right now. Those techniques can be learnt. People think that they can't, but they can, but you have to deliberately do them. So my number one tip always is, learn how to reset your body once you have been triggered into fear. 
makes complete sense. And I'll be sharing the links to your website and also, of course, so people can grab a copy of your book with the show notes with the podcast too, just so everyone knows. Thank you for sharing those tips. Really, really helpful pragmatic tips, which I love. So <laughs> now you did very quickly, you did mention before about your fear of spiders, which I do share with you. But is there a fear, like a big fear? It might be your um the physical fears. Yeah, it's funny because when I started plotting down kind of everything that I knew about fear in an effort to sort of try and be helpful and kind of write the book um I was like wow there are some areas that I really have not progressed in you know and one of the sad things about fear is that it is you do have to use it otherwise you lose it you know your tolerance of fear so potentially when I was at school I was probably more fearless more fearless in the physical sense you know I would probably do a bit more but then over time I think I've just done less and just built up sort of, you know, fears about my strength of my body and my capability and maybe what I look like and whether I'm sporty and, you know, you sort of get these set sort of um, beliefs. And so I really kind of didn't like that about, you know, my relationship with fear about that. So I actually signed up for a local soccer team for Women of a certain age, as I said to you just before we started recording, I've just turned 50, so certain age of women, some of whom have played soccer forever and some of whom have not at all, uh, and I was one of those not at all, and I joined a soccer team, and it's as fearful two and a half years on than it was when I first started. I am still experiencing a whole lot of fear, but that's because I'm playing harder now two and a half years later than I was two years ago. So the fear has stayed the same, but what I'm doing is so different and what I'm gaining is so different. You know, I I gained an incredible team of of women who I just love and we do these incredible things on a Sunday and we just go and, you know, smash a ball around a park and and it's awesome. And, And so, yeah, so I think... I have had a fear in physicality and I and I continue to strive forward in it because and and one of the greatest motivations to do that is my children so I just want them to see me fighting fears and it's easier for them to see me renegotiating my relationship with fear in physical things so I get them to come and I get them to ex- I explain to them what I'm feeling and how nervous I am and how I'm going to do it anyway and how things scared me when I was on the pitch and you know how I scream when sometimes the ball comes towards me and all of these things and they're just lovely opportunities for me to share out loud how I'm how I'm experiencing fear and yet continuing to do something different yeah I love that and there's so much power in role modeling forward yeah talking that through with your kids so powerful so Mm. good on you for doing that thanks absolutely thanks (laughs) oh I mean it's been so wonderful chatting to you and I could keep going but I'm very mindful of your time and so this podcast is called Making It Count. It's all about being intentional and making every moment count in leadership and in life. So I'd love if you could share maybe one thing that you do to make it count in your world. I think I make it count by being deliberate about my relationship with fear and when I start to experience fear in a certain area rather than waiting for that 
thing to happen again or avoiding that thing happening again or worrying about that thing happening again, I will deliberately write myself a list of tasks that edge me towards that thing happening again. So for example, if there was, you know, I don't know, a a difficult meeting or a challenge, you know, in some area, I would deliberately then go, okay, so if that's number 10 on my list of challenging situations and I'm comfortable right now at number one, what does number two look like? What does number three look like? What does number nine look like? And I would write down the different circumstances that would represent that number, which is all make-believe, obviously. You, you don't really know until you're doing it how you're feeling. It's all movable. Then I would go and make number one happen. I would set that up and then I'd make number two happen. I'd go and set that up rather than waiting for number 10 to happen again and me to feel out of control. I want to be in control of my fear. I want to be in control of those situations that seem to me to lie on the other side of fear. You know, those kind of really big moments. I want to deliberately head for them by setting myself mini experiments that allow for me to expand in that area. Oh, I love that. Mini experiences to enable you to expand. That just sounds so fabulous. <laughs> I may adopt this. I think I'm going to adopt everything that you said on this podcast. You're going to see me being very courageous. Very <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing that and also for sharing, you know, the fear that you're constantly overcoming with the soccer Always. bat. Oh, of the pragmatic advice and this is such a powerful episode no no people are just going to get so much value from it so not only are you just the most beautiful gorgeous human being but (laughs) there's just so much um, value that you offer and as I said before I'll share all of the links so that people can get your wisdom and get them into talking to their teams and you know empowering them to be more courageous as well. So, Amy, thank you so much for being part of Making It Count. And thank you. Thank you, Julie, for uh, hosting and for making such a difference to everybody that listens. So, thanks, Julie. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of this show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count. Make it count.